So last week as we continued our journey through the book of Acts, and, and we listened to how Peter, filled by the vision of God, had interacted with the Gentiles, and as he returned home, he began to be questioned on his actions and how he had interacted with them. And how his, his explanation of the whole story of how God had spoken to him and what God had revealed to him caused the people in his community to expand their worldview and their understanding of who God was and what God was doing. And, and if you continue to follow through the book of Acts, it, it tells us that due to the scattering um, from Stephen's martyrdom, as we heard after Stephen was put to death, that people fled out of fear for their own lives, but they carried their faith with them. And due to this, there was a church that was planted in Antioch. And the Jewish people send Barnabas to Antioch, where he joins up with Paul, and they begin to preach the good news. And they stay there for about a year, preaching the good news and teaching the persons. As a matter of fact, the first persons called Christians are the ones that we find in the church of Antioch. And in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul go to Cyprus and Paphos and Perga. And in verse chapter 14, rather, we hear of their time in Iconium where they wanted to stone them to death. And so uh, Barnabas and Peter, and Peter say, or Paul rather say, we, we need to get out of here. We need to flee. And so they flee to Lystra. And in Lystra, we hear this story that begins in verse 8. And I'm going to interject a couple of things here and there. But we're going to look at 14 verses 8 through 20. And beginning in verse 8, it says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. And he had been that way from birth, and he never walked, and he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lysonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, and they brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So, Paul's. There's been a miracle performed, and sometimes we gloss over that, but that's because in this story, that's not even the strangest thing that happens. All of a sudden, this miracle is done, and their initial reaction is, oh, that must be Zeus and Hermes. Why would they think this? I mean, and what we need to know is we need to understand the history of Lystra and the people of Lystra because the people of Lystra obviously don't wrestle with a belief in the divine. They obviously worship multiple gods and they don't even flinch when the miracle is done. But instead, they believe that Paul and Barnabas are Zeus and Hermes. Because, and the reason behind this is because in 8 AD, a Roman author named Ovid wrote a story about Hermes and Zeus and how they came to Lystra in human form. And as they were wandering around the town, they were seeking hospitality, and they went to thousands of homes, and no one would extend hospitality to them, except for at the very end of the, the story, one couple extends hospitality to them. And what we hear is that couple is spared, but the rest of the city of Lystra is wiped out by a massive flood. And so the people of Lystra live in this kind of constant fear and belief that the last time that the gods showed up, we didn't do what we were supposed to and it didn't go well. So this time, we better do what we're supposed to in order to keep them happy. 
Because if the gods aren't happy, then life isn't going to be good for us. But if the gods are happy, then life will be good for us. And this is why it says that they brought bulls and wreaths to the gates to offer his sacrifices. They were, they were trying to please the gods in order to receive reward. They, they had fallen into this trap of believing that if I do this, then I get blessed. But the thing about this is, is as this happens, we start to buy into, well, if I do this, I have to do this to make the gods happy. And if the gods were happy with that, then I must one-up myself or or even one-up the others around me to make sure that they stay happy. I got to make sure that I keep providing more and more and more to make sure that the gods stay in a place of being pleased with me. And if things aren't going well, then I just, I also need to do more and more and more. And it leads to a, a kind of cycle of anxiety and fear of having to do enough, of having to do more to make the gods happy. Now, if we shift to today, well, we, we may ask the question, are we that different? I mean, yeah, we're not going and searching for a bull or a goat to sacrifice, maybe, but are we that different? As we say, oh, I believe that if I just attend worship and I pray and I read scriptures and I help others, that God will be happy with me. And we start believing that we must do something to keep big G God happy with us. Or when we mess up, we must do something more to fix it, to correct it. It's kind of like in relationships where you go, oh, I messed up. I got to do something big to fix this one because this was a big mess up. And we kind of, we would never say it, but we start to believe that God has a running tally of our good deeds and our bad deeds. And our goods have to outweigh our bads. And we lose sight of where in Scripture it says that he has cast our sin as far as it is from the east as from the west. That God is not worried with your actions so much as your heart. But if we're not careful, we can find ourselves on this hamster wheel of running nonstop, trying to do enough in order to be enough. You see, as we mentioned, the the people in Lystra had faith. They believed in the spiritual realm and in the divine, but their belief wasn't missing but their belief was misplaced, and I, and I fear that we can or even have fallen into the same trap. Or It's not that we don't have faith, it's that our faith has been misplaced. And so we continue our story looking in verse 14, and it says, When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, what are you doing? We two are only human." We're we're bringing you the good news. We're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. You see, the beauty of this story is that Paul says, you, you've, you've missed the point. And he gives them the good news. 
And the good news is that the big G God, the one true God is the God for all. There's no need for these little G gods of Zeus and Hermes because there is only one God and God is great and God is good. And when humans don't or didn't recognize him, guess what he did? He still provided for their needs. And when they didn't or don't reciprocate, he still loves This God is faithful even when we aren't. God cares more about his people than their performance is what he's pointing out. He's saying, you're God's primary focus. So get off the hamster wheel of enough actions. Because the message of Jesus isn't about hundreds of little G gods with some temperament issue, but it's about the one true God who is consistent in loving God's creation. It isn't dependent on you doing enough, but it is dependent upon the cross and the resurrection, which is enough. It's not about you working your way to God, but God working his way to us. You see, Christianity doesn't say first change your behavior because what Christianity is is a call to change our belief. It's not a call to work our way into good standing with God. Now, now, I don't want you to mishear me on this. Behavior does matter. But it's not God's first priority. You are God's first priority. And I'm a firm believer that your true behavior reflects what you truly believe anyway. And that's why when Jesus came, he wasn't seeking to shift behaviors, but seeking to shift the way in which we believed and understood. Jesus came to transform our beliefs and our belief systems so that we could truly understand God more fully. Or Father Richard Rohr is quoted as saying, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us because it didn't need changing. He came to change our mind about God. That that we may truly begin to understand more fully who God is. Because our minds must be changed. You see, I think we have found ourselves in a place like the people in Lystra where we we feel like we have to do enough in in order to be enough. We have to do this, this, and this, and we start to believe that that Christianity is a checklist and not a relationship. And we're like the people of Lystra that even when we hear this good news, we go, yeah, but I still got to give stuff up. I still got to sacrifice. I still got to do. I still got to do. And we find ourselves running on a hamster wheel. As a a personal runner, one of my things that I hate to do is run on a treadmill. And the reason is, is because I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. And I feel like sometimes when we engage in this mentality of having to do, 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 do enough, we can feel like we're running on a hamster wheel or a treadmill where we're just continually going and not sure if we're really accomplishing anything. Because, but in verse 19, I want you to hear this, but that we're not alone if this idea of changing our minds and changing our hearts seems difficult. Because in verse 19, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and they dragged him out outside the city, thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, he went back into the city, and the next day, the next day, He 
and Barnabas left. And so what we hear is that there are people that are going, wait a minute, I don't like this idea. And so they go, I'd rather just kill it. Let's kill that idea. Let's put the kibosh on this. Let's silence that call to change. We, 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 we like this idea of, of doing because you know why? Because we've got the ability and the money and the, and the processes in which we know to do. It's that idea of the, the, God, the devil that you know is better than the one that you don't. But, but what we hear in our text is a call to change, to shift from the God of never enough and conditional grace and the hamster wheel of faith to the God of unconditional love, grace, and hope and mercy. To shift from the old way that says, what do I need to offer for divine favor? What do I need to do to make peace with God? What do I do for God to approve and love me to Jesus' way, which says you have divine favor because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Peace was made on heaven and earth through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God loves you because of who you are and what he has done for you. You see, the shift that needs to happen is not a shift that says, I believe in God. And I think many of us hearing this would say, I believe in God. But the shift that needed to happen for the people of Lystra and the shift that needs to happen for many of us today is a shift that says, I'm shifting from believing in God to believing God. I believe God when God says, I am loved and there's nothing I can do about it. I believe God when God says that his way is greater than mine. I believe God when God says that grace is sufficient. I believe God when God says, just enter into a relationship and grow in relationship with me. Maybe the shift that needs to happen is not so much a shift of action because that will come but a shift of our mind and our beliefs that says, God, not only do I believe in you, but I believe you. Amen and amen.